0: Hey, this is Evan Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women and your personal trainer for love, welcoming you back to the Love You podcast where you're gonna learn everything you need to know about dating relationships, sex and men from a man's point of view. And today we're talking about sex. This is sex and the single woman. Um, and it's a really broad topic. I mean, it could have gone gone narrow, but uh, I think it's just juicier if we, we take the more global overview instead of asking very, very narrow questions. Um, and so I took some time, I usually don't take that much time to prepare, but I took some time to think of my, my thoughts. If I were to come up with like an eight commandments of of sex, um, here are my, here are my eight commandments of sex. And afterwards we're going to take some questions, um, that are a little bit more narrow and specific. So, um, first of all, if we're going to put these in order, number one. Sex, and and, and it's not controversial, these are just sort of truths that we need to establish together. Number one, sex is essential to a relationship. No sex, no relationship. And yet, 15% of marriages are sexless. And I would even guess that it's higher the number of people who have sex less than once a month. I think uh, sexless marriage is like less than four times a year, but uh, people who have sex less than once once a month, I would would bring that number up uh, much, much higher. So establish, you need to have a spark, not the spark, because there's always going to be a higher spark. You need to have a spark to start a relationship. You need to have similar libidos and you need to prioritize having sex, even if it means scheduling it so you don't just turn into roommates, which is to say no sex, no relationship. Number two, sex, right? This doesn't contradict the previous one. Sex is the icing on the cake. It's not the cake itself. No one should be in a relationship for the great sex. It's it's, it's a bonus, that's what I meant by the icing on the cake or the cherry on top. 95% of the time you're together, you're not having sex. So getting along, making 100 tiny decisions today as a couple, that's more important, right? Which again, we've already established that sex is important, but getting along is more important than having the world's greatest sex. When people stay together for the sex, when they're otherwise unhappy, they're only prolonging their unhappiness. Number three, he doesn't have to be the greatest in bed, no more than he has to be the single smartest, tallest, funniest, or wealthiest man you've ever met. He just has to be what Dan Savage calls good giving and game in bed. Does he want to please? Can he please? Can he communicate? If so, keep him. All right. the, the idea that the person you marry is the best in bed is, uh, if anything, unnecessary wishful thinking. Like, if you get that, great. My wife got that, but not everybody does, is all I'm saying. <clears throat> Number four, sex is universal, and it shouldn't be shameful. So not that it matters what I think in the grand scheme of things, but what I think is that I will never judge you for your sexual habits. I would only ask you, I would only challenge you: Are your sexual habits habits serving your long-term goals? Because um, that's those are two interesting things. When someone says the most important thing to me is being with um, a tantric sex master who's into BDSM, and you spend your life pursuing that guy, but sometimes you never find a safe, nurturing relationship. That's when your sexual habits may be contradicting your long-term goals, and you're going to have to weigh what's more important, having the world's greatest sex or having the world's greatest marriage. Number five, I've mentioned this before, but I can't beat it to death enough. Men, look for sex and find love. Print this on your hand, tattoo it backwards on the forehead so you can see it in the mirror. You should never, ever be surprised by this fact because you see it everywhere you go. Testosterone-filled men are driven by attraction first and everything else second. The guys never come up to someone at a bar and said, you look like you're gonna be a great mother. <laughs> never, ever, ever happened, unless it was a joke. All right, so men are driven by sex. Right? So any question of why was he nice to me or why did he sleep with me if he didn't want a relationship can be answered with, he was attracted to you, he wanted to sleep with you, he was in the moment and he didn't think much past that. All right, so. I am not condoning it or excusing it. I am merely observing what everybody else here has observed. Men look for sex before they know if they like you, before they know if they want a relationship with you, before everything, sex is first. Number six, and this is about me again, forgive me, but it it, it sets the the tone for for our conversation about sex. I'm an everything in moderation person. Um, I, I alluded to this in a previous bullet point. People who have extreme behaviors when it comes to sex, whether you're going to be a virgin until you're married or you dress up as a plushie, fine by me, you're not wrong. You're just going to find that there's a lot fewer people who share your values and it makes the tr- the already trying task of trying to find lifetime partnership even more difficult. If he has to be nice, smart, kind, warm, funny, blah, 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 all those things and also respect the fact that you're going to remain a virgin until na- marriage or respect the fact that you like to, to, have someone shit on your chest or whatever your thing is. Um, The more extreme your your, uh, sexual proclivities, the harder it is to find a lid for your pop. Number seven, unless you can handle the consequences of sleeping with a stranger who never calls you again, you're best off not sleeping with a man until you've both determined over the course of time that you should be in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. That is not slut shaming because that would be hypocritical on the slide. Um, It's just common sense. Um, uh, I have no trouble with you sleeping with guys on the first date or after three dates or just because it feels good and you have an itch to scratch. You, You then sort of lose the right to complain if that guy never calls you because we already said men look for sex and find love. He has no idea if he wants to be in a relationship with them. And you can't spend too much time getting hurt by what is essentially predictable, men sleeping with you without any real attachment to what happens next. So the answer is not to shame men or blame men. The answer is to stop sleeping with men. If you don't like the way you feel after sleeping with strangers. And number eight, the solution to sex problems, like most other problems, is not best directed at blaming men, but rather directed inward. Why do I find navigating sex to be so confusing? Why is it so surprising to me when things play out the way they do? What is it that I believe about the world that causes so many breakdowns in this arena? What set of expectations do I have about sex that are not universal and I'm consistently surprised that are not being met? Right? These are the questions for you to ask yourself, right? Because objectively, sex is tricky and personal and messy and laden with stuff from our past, right? And we're not going to be able to change our past, and we're not going to be able to change the opposite sex. So the questions become, what are my issues in this arena? How am I constantly surprised or disappointed? And how can I handle the reality of how men generally approach sex without getting too bent out of shape? So <clears throat> with that, I'm, uh, I'm a, I've am been blogging for 10 years. Uh, i get a million people a month comes come to my blog. Um, I generally don't like to, answer specific sex questions on there, um, because they are so very narrow. Um, but today I'm going to take three questions that came into my blog. Um, uh, in lieu of having the callers on here, I'm just going to hope that they're, they're watching the love you podcast because we posted them on the blog anyway. And, um, I think they're, they're diverse and they're interesting. And, uh, I don't don't have a scripted answer. So let's see what happens. Uh, we've got a, a question from Bailey. Bailey says, my boyfriend have been together for five years. Our sex life used to be insane. Now it went from Zaza Zoom to Zaza bust. How do we get the fire back? Oh, Bailey, Um, it just means you're growing up a little bit. Um, And this is the hard part. I mean, uh, humans are not wired for monogamy. Um, Monogamy is a choice we make to preserve our relationships. We are a, a polygynous species more akin to bonobos um, who lived in you know, 150 you know, unit polyamorous uh, communities for years, um, and we, we made a choice uh, that marriage is a better institution. Um, but we're, we're fighting some of our natural impulses to be married. And there's lots of stuff that's been written about it recently, uh, <clears throat> a book a few years ago called Sex at Dawn by, by Christopher Ryan. Um, there's a book called Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel, who, who did a famous TED Talk about that. Um, uh, and I would probably recommend that book. But the answer isn't so much how do we get the fire back. I think it's how do we keep the fire burning. Uh, and again, I, I say this is a guy who's been married uh, now for nine years. Uh, how, do we, how do we keep the fire burning? Uh, because I think a lot of people just let it go out. Um, and we similarly, we take things for granted. There's very little that's new when you've been sleeping with someone for X amount of years, um, unless you really want to explore, which has, we're going to take, tackle that in a different question, which has a, a, a different set of downsides. But if you're just a happily married couple, my wife and I are a happily married couple, we lead a relatively vanilla sex life, Um, and we made a choice. We 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 have little kids, we're tired, like our libidos aren't as high as they used to be, my testosterone's not as high as it used to be because I'm 44 years old. I mean, there's lots of circumstances around why people take each other for granted, get busy in their lives, they have kids, they're tired, Uh, they take things for granted that they've had for a long time. all these circumstances lead people to this thing. It would be almost impossible to expect you to be as excited about your partner after five or ten years. Uh, the same way that it would be exci- it would be impossible for you to be as excited about your house. It's not your new house. It's your car. It's not your new car. Your job. It's not your new job. Everything. We, get ex- we have a ten in excitement, and eventually it's, it slows down to a six. So expecting it to be otherwise is... Is setting ourselves for, for up are setting ourselves up for false expectations. What I would say is that you should you should have a partner who's willing to please you, a partner who you're willing to communicate with, and talk about this. Um, wh- what what can we do for us? It's not like we try many different things uh, candidly. We we just make sure we maintain our sexual bond. Um, where a lot of couples that I know just sort of let it go by the wayside. No, they'll go weeks, months. My wife and I, it's not an appointment, but we'll go out on either a Friday or Saturday night, and the night that we're not out, <laughs> that's the night that we're having sex. So we never lose our sexual bond. Um, it may not, our, our sex life not, may not be insane because, again, it's impossible to maintain that, that height over a long period of time unless your goal is the pursuit of insane sex right? And you need to uh, go crazy and reinvent things. Um, but, but as we're going to talk about, that presents a different set of complications, because you've got to be on the same page when you're reinventing your, your sex life. So to me, the, the, the moderate path, as I said, as a, as, as a moderate, is to prioritize sex and communicate about sex. Um, instead of letting the flame die out, it, it, it dims, but it's still there. Um, and I think that's the most realistic way to deal with it, um, to, to bring it to insane. Uh, well th- that, that, might involve other people and that, that involves a whole other set of, of, of problems, I think. So, uh, I hope, I hope I addressed your question about how to get the fire back. I think it's about not letting it go out, um, as opposed to turning on the fire to where it was in the first three months that you met, which is, uh, in, in my experience as, as a coach and as a married man, somewhat unrealistic. And we need to set realistic expectations if we're gonna be happy. So thank you for asking the question, Bailey. I hope that was moderate and useful, if not exactly what you wanted to hear. I'm sure you wanted to hear, there's this There's this one book that will tell you how to do it, or there's this one pill that you take, or this one technique, and I don't think that's what it is. I think uh, marriage is a, a, a long-term partnership and it's, it's psychologically not normal to be giddy about the person that you're with every second of every day for your whole life. Um, Jackie asks, my boyfriend and I are pretty adventurous in our sex life. Lately we've been talking about opening our sex life to other people and talking threesomes and swinger parties. How do we navigate this without losing each other? Does emotional monogamy have to go hand in hand with sexual monogamy? Whew, I could talk about this one uh, all day. Uh, so I find it a fascinating topic. New York Times just did a, recently did a, a cover story about uh, non-monogamy, um, uh, polyamory, swingers, etc. Um, and they tried to do it through a pretty non-judgmental lens and let these people tell their stories. And yet, even when you're reading the stories, you get the sense that they're really, really straining to make things work. Um, that it's like communism, it's a lot nicer in theory than in practice. So, um, uh, and I'm gonna I, my, my wife and I have had conversations about this very thing like, you know, you know, you find this person attractive, you find this person attractive. What can we do about that? How do we navigate that? And ultimately, ultimately we land in the same place. We're not going to do anything to jeopardize our relationship. Uh, nothing to jeopardize our relationship and we're aware about how fragile stuff like that can be because um, again, in theory yeah, it's just sex it feels good, it's pleasurable and why should you only have sex with one person for the rest of your life? That's that's fair um, the ramifications of it are, are, are much greater um, I'm at home taking care of uh, the, the kids and bathing them and changing them and my wife is out on a, a date with some some guy that lasts until midnight. Um, I guess I just don't like it. <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I'm just not, not much of a fan of that. And I'm not a particularly jealous guy. Um, I can understand, oh, it's just sex. Just, uh, it doesn't feel good. It, it, it's, it, it, it is breaking the bounds of emotional monogamy, not just physical monogamy, no matter how much you sort of say it, even if it's, even if it's endorsed or condoned, at least to me. So I think a lot of people want to be able to handle it. Just like I talked about you know, sleeping with a guy that's not your boyfriend and seeing he's active on Tinder the next day. I think a lot of couples say, wouldn't it be great if we could pull this off? I'm attracted to other people. You're attracted to other people. Let's give it a shot. And then they work really, really hard. You read this article. It's a, they're like, we communicate a lot. We talk a lot about our relationship. You know what? My wife and I don't talk anything about our relationship because there's nothing to strain it. We don't have to, over-communicate and say, hey, I know I was with um, Candace the other night, but you know I still love you and you're the most beautiful woman to me. And even though we did some crazy stuff that you and I never do, that doesn't threaten us at all. It's just, you're you're inviting an element into your relationship that is inherently destabilizing. Right? Because it's exciting, it's destabilizing. So I think there's just an inherent trade-off between excitement and stability, right? And for marriage, stability seems to me to be the thing that should always win out for marriage. Um, and again, we could talk about the various exceptions to the rules. Um, there's a guy in New York Magazine named Michael Sonmore who wrote a piece about being, uh, being part of an open marriage. And he wrote about being in bed, drinking a glass of wine, knowing his wife is on a date with Pablo and, having like a second and third glass of wine and and talking about their hot sex when she came home. And the guy sounded like a cuckold. He sounded miserable. Like he was talking himself into this thing. So as much as I, and again, I don't judge. You said you're adventurous in your sex life. You've been talking about opening your sex life to other people. My wife and I have been hit on by other people and we've talked about it seriously. (laughs) Like, should we, shouldn't we? No, we can't do this. So we've, we've talked about all that kind of stuff. We've ultimately landed in in terms of stability. We don't want to mess up our marriage or our emotional connection or relationship with our kids uh, or open up the door. It's like a gateway drug. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily know about opening up the door to that. So how do we navigate this without losing each other? Really, really carefully. Um, does emotional monogamy have to go hand in hand with sexual monogamy? It doesn't. But it usually does. In that, I could appreciate that sex is just sex. But uh, if your partner is out openly cheating on you, <laughs> um, uh, I think it may be hard to, to separate your your logic from your emotions. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, caveat emptor. You know, pr- proceed proceed cautiously if you're going to to do that, um, and maybe find some some couple who's navigated it successfully, because I I, I pretty much only know people who's, whose marriages have been destroyed by it. That's how they end up talking to dating coaches. Is I tried to be a swinger and we opened things up and then everything collapsed and he fell in love with someone else. And that's a really, really common story. So I think everybody thinks they're gonna be an exception to the rule, but there's a reason that marriage is marriage and it involves monogamy. And it's not because monogamy is the best—it's like democracy, right? <laughs> democracy is not the—you know it's not the best. It's—it's the—I'm going to botch the quote, but you get the idea. It's—it's not—it's not anarchy. It's not communism. It's the best worst system, and I think that's what we have here. Is monogamy is not perfect for obvious reasons. You lose out on some excitement, um, but you get to preserve something um, and create a stable relationship that I just think gets destabilized. So I know I'm talking in circles, um, but, but this is a, 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 great, a great question and it's one that uh, you know, uh, I've contemplated in my own life and I, I keep on landing in the same place for, for a reason. I think I've just seen too many, uh, too many things <clears throat> go wrong and uh, I'm not a risk taker when it comes to uh, my marriage, uh, which is the greatest asset that I have. Trudy asks, my boyfriend is not the best in bed. It's not bad, but it's not great. And I've had great lovers in the past. Sex is very important to me. At first I thought maybe he was shy and hasn't had many partners. So I did little things here and there to encourage him to get kinkier, i.e. sending sexy photos to his phone while it worked to be spontaneous, even cheesy things like setting a mood in our bedroom for when he comes home at the end of the day. Nothing seems to be working and I think I'm starting to freak him out. I feel really vulnerable at this point and I'm beginning to feel really frustrated starting to affect our relationship. Now I don't want to have sex at all because I know it's not going to be great and he's not putting in the effort. Should I call it quits or are there other things I could try to make this work? Um, all right, Trudy, here's uh, good news, Good news. bad news. Uh, good news is that your, your problem is not entirely unusual and there's the potential for it to be fixed. And um, uh, the bad news is that you have to have this conversation with him instead of me um you're hinting right? you're you're trying to show him in indeed how you'd like to play right more spontaneous flirty during the day romantic at night right and again i i'm i'm off I'm all, I'm all for that I wish, I wish I had a little bit more of that so there's anything that you're asking him to do is not unreasonable uh, or anything that you want him to do is not unreasonable, it's that you haven't really quite asked him. And so all the things that you said to me, um, I'm a little frustrated. I think I'm starting to freak out. I'm feeling really vulnerable at this point. Um, It's affecting our relationship. These are things that he needs to know because he's not doing this to hurt you. He's just more tightly wound and introverted. Um, And so back to something I said at the beginning of the podcast you can be happily married with someone who's not the greatest lover of all time, but he has to make an effort to please and get why you're good and try to raise his game to meet yours, right? He has to be better than he is now. He doesn't have to be the best, but he has to do better than he is now. But that's mostly a, a tweak up here, right? It's, it's just effort. He doesn't have to fundamentally become a different person to acknowledge your efforts, right? When you send him a picture, you know, to reply, sexy, can't wait till I get home later. I mean, tiny little things that that help to fuel that fire. So um, i picked pick up a book um, before you have this conversation because it sounds like this is really important to you, Trudy. The book is called Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. It's by Dr. Jamie Cherndorf. Um, I've done, it's in Love You. I've done podcasts about it, but basically... Um, you need to have a conversation with your boyfriend and start off by acknowledging what a great boyfriend he is. Right? Positive, positive, positive. Right? And then you have to drop the bomb in a soft way. This thing, there's this thing that you're doing. It's inadvertent, and here's how it makes me feel. When I make sexual overtures to you, I feel misunderstood, uh, neglected, disconnected, embarrassed. Whatever your feelings are. Right? You talk about your feelings, not. You're uptight and cold and selfish. That's attacking never works, right? So you're a great boyfriend. I appreciate this. I appreciate this. I appreciate this, right? Recently, I've noticed that I felt X, Y, and Z because we don't seem to be on the same page sexually. And it's really important to me. And um, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, how you feel about this. Have you noticed that I've been trying things in a different way? Is there a reason that that you are not as open to it, you may not be as expressive, but, I, but I'm actually feeling rejected and shut down. What can we do as a couple so that I can get this part of my needs met, right? Because I'd much rather work with you to improve our sex life than to just assume it's over. So you're really giving him a chance to step up to the plate, hear you, address your concerns, explain himself instead of what you're doing, which is dropping hints and you know, writing dissatisfied emails to dating coaches. Which I'm glad you did, but he's the person who needs to hear your feelings, not not me. And once he hears your feelings and you could work on a solution together as a couple, instead of having this thing that tears you apart, it could actually end up bringing you together. So um, i'd like to I'd like to know what happens because I, I, I do think it's salvageable. He may not ever be um, a, a, a tiger in bed, but he could certainly be better at pleasing you, and that may save your relationship. so. Good news, bad news. Um, I appreciate you being here. I I, I enjoy this and I really, really, uh, I like the sex conversation. I have to admit, I don't get to do this very often. So thank you for joining me here on the Love You Podcast. My name is Evan Mark Katz. On next week's episode, we are going to have the breakup doctor, Kevin Pergansky. You should definitely tune in. Don't forget to subscribe to the Love You Podcast on iTunes and on YouTube. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all the links are below. And best of all, I give away the most free dating and relationship advice of anybody on the internet at www.evanmarkkatz.com. Go there, give me your name and email address. I will identify your number one relationship challenge and give you the love life that you deserve. Thank you so much. I'll see you again next week.